This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Cordo Byrne. Welcome, Cordo. Thanks. Great to be here. Great to have you. So maybe if we start, you could you could maybe give a short introduction who you are and, and your story. Sure. So my background is probably what I'm best known for is winning a race called Ultraman Hawaii, uh, which is a three-day triathlon on the big island of Hawaii. And it's a 10-kilometer point-to-point open water swim, followed by two bike stages over two days. And then the last day is a double marathon. And that was a, it was a great event for me. Now, in addition to my own racing, uh, Ironman distance, 70.3 distance, I have coached many athletes and written a book about Ironman training. And the athletes that I coached uh, were not necessarily elite athletes. I tended to work more with elite amateur athletes, people trying to qualify for amateur world championships. And I worked male and female athletes, primarily in the age range of 30 to 70 years old. So I have a, a really wide range of experience working with high-level athletes, but not um, elite athletes. So people that were, and most of these athletes were not elite athletes when they were younger. So they are people that came to sport uh, later in life and after they were successful in their careers and they were looking for a new challenge. And for many of them, the Ironman in Hawaii was their focus to try and qualify for the world championships in their age group, uh, get there and really experience what it's like to race that event, a very special event in Hawaii. So I think that's that probably gives you a good feel. Now, in addition to um, my time in triathlon, I've experienced with ultra running, uh, long distance mountain biking, uh, mountaineering, uh, and and some other skiing, uh, ski mountaineering. Um, so a pretty broad range of um, endurance and ultra endurance uh, events and sports. Mm. Sounds sounds very interesting. And was it a conscious so- choice that you you went with the elite amateurs and not not with the elite for the triathlon and other sports? Well, at the beginning, uh, people just started asking me to coach them. So I've always written a lot about my own training, and people came to me and they asked for help with their program. And so, and they were people you know, the amateurs. And I was like, sure. I mean, uh, and, and I started down that road. But ultimately, what happened is my background was in finance, in private equity investing. And so I could, I was a peer to many of my athletes in that I had a similar area that I was working in, and I understood their industry, what their life structure was like. And I think that was part of attracting them. And then from a business point of view, Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, a doctor or a dentist or somebody that's a professional actually has money to pay for a coach. I mean, many elite athletes don't in actually most sports, most endurance sports, the elite elite athletes don't have much money at all. And so they don't. So it's difficult to build um, a business. 
So I think most coaching businesses, particularly in the triathlon space, are focused on amateurs, and that's driven by market forces. Hmm. And and you said that you have had athletes between age range of 30 to 70 years old. So I think it could be interesting to discuss that how do you need to train and recover when you are over 40, over 50, over 60, maybe even over 70, that how does it change? And you're probably training quite a bit now yourself. So you have also your own experiences and from the coaching, how, how, would, you, how would you start this discussion? Okay. So the, I think, so there's a couple distinct phases, I think, in the changing physiology uh, of our bodies. And at, uh, I think around 45 for men and women, and it's approximate, it's, and, and the changes don't happen suddenly, the changes happen gradually in midlife. But really, with my own training as an elite, when I was at my absolute best, I was in my late 30s. And by best, it was best both in terms of performance, but it was also best in terms of my capacity to train. The two are linked together. So the capacity to train will result in the performance. And then the many years stacked on top of each other increase the depth of fitness. So coming, so as I transitioned into my 40s, my capacity to train declined a little bit, but it was my ability to do the key workouts. So uh, uh, the important workouts, similar to what I would do as an elite, was still there. So what I did was I just dropped out some of the total load, but I was still able to do very high quality workouts. So my performance in that 40 to 45 range was still at a very high level. Also, because of the many, many, I mean, over 10,000 training hours in my 30s, that has a very powerful effect uh, going forward on the, on the physiology, on my physiology. But around, around 45, I noticed a clear shift. And I don't know if it's a hormonal shift or really it's, it's like a whole body shift. The way your body deals with stress and in terms of stress, the stress an elite endurance athlete gives themselves is a very high level stress. It's a very concentrated form of stress. So it became clear to me that I just couldn't train at those prior levels. Now, females seem to tolerate the stress better. So this point in a female athlete seems to happen a bit later because I've seen uh, friends of mine in Boulder that are still able to train at quite a high level all the way up to 50 years old. And some of them, exceptional women, can, can even in their early 50s. But for the men, there's a clear shift at 45. And if you're looking at it, you look at it, say, in five-year increments. So there's a, there's a big difference. So 38 to 43, not much of a change. You'd say there was a little change. But if I look at 40 to 45, it's a clear, there's a clear change. And then from 45 to 50, wow, another clear change. But year to year, things are changing gradually. So as we get on the far side of 45, so we've noticed this change happening in our body. The, the most important thing that I tell athletes is you need to be very careful with putting yourself in a hole. And what I mean by that is when you're a young athlete and you're in your 20s and 30s, you can make a choice to, to really put yourself in a very deep fatigue state. Now, it might not be optimal, but if you happen to do that and uh, with a stage race or even what we used to call stage training, where it's a mixture of short race type efforts and high volume, you'll come out of that hole pretty quickly. 
and you'll be able to you'll be able to go down and come up and go down and come up. Now, after 45, you're not going to be coming back up. So you have to be much more attuned to your fatigue state, because if you put yourself in a deep fatigue position, it could take several weeks to come out of it. And in that case, you're having to give away so much training and so much load that you end up kind of behind. You're, You're not gaining anything from this big training. So that's a shift in focus. I think I think the focus needs to be much more subtle with the training approach. The other change that I think athletes should consider making is also you're going to need to cycle your training load much more across the year. And what I mean by that is with a young athlete, you can actually train them at quite a high level most of the year. And that would be up to I mean in my best years I was training seriously 10 out of 12 months of the year. If you try to do that with a master's athlete, you'll find that they go stale. And what I mean by stale is they'll, even if the metrics look good, even if the feeling's good, uh, the body appears to be okay, the training's going okay, the, the, I call it like their mojo, the mood, they'll, they'll just, they'll just kind of go flat and the enjoyment comes out of the training and it becomes like work. And so what I find is more effective with the master's athlete, the older athlete, is most of the year is about base, a base level of volume, a comfortable level of volume. It's about staying healthy, staying strong, and then focus periods to prepare for a specific event. And so what it means is across the entire year, the overall amount of hours invested is coming down. So it's, it's less total work, but the idea is closer to the event, you'll try and get more work to get the performance at the event. So there's much more of a cycle in terms of the loading across the year for that athlete. And that also fits with the rest of their life uh, better. And related to that, we're coming out of winter. And I think it's very important for a master's athlete not to go too hard in the winter because because you, you don't want to get to this time of this time of year, March, April, when when nature is coming up and your body is naturally coming up and you've already spent so much mental energy in January and February that you can't take advantage of this natural lift. So that's another aspect that I would say. And then the type of training, let's 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 go into that because I think the type of training after 45 is also very important. So the if we read books and we we listen to the media, there's a tremendous focus on VO2 max and VO2 max declining with age and I also think uh, people talk about a high VO2 max being good for longevity. And I think it can mislead many athletes. And what I mean by that is, as an endurance athlete, if you try and optimize your VO2 max, you're not necessarily going to be optimizing your performance or your health. And what are the components of health that are particularly important? And now I'm thinking really 60 plus. So I'm thinking about later in life. Um, The components are metabolic health and strength and agility. And these are very different components uh, than VO2 max. By metabolic health, I mean I mean it's the health of our mitochondria. It's the ability of our body to do work, but to do work at moderate intensities. And I think this is something that many masters athletes, particularly ones that were fast when they were younger, lose sight of. I feel like it's something I lost sight of in my own training as I got older. 
So it's, it's, there's a focus on velocity, there's a focus on VO2 max, and as a result, they get out of touch with their mitochondrial health, this, this low-end health. Because you, as I mentioned earlier, I'm getting older, I see I need to drop some volume, so I start dropping my easy volume. And I end up with a week that is a lot of tempo and a lot of threshold type training, a lot of higher intensity training, and, and it costs me with my metabolic health. And I think that's an important aspect of overall health for the long term for people to, to think about. The other thing is, in order to do work, we need muscle. And it, it sounds obvious, but if we look at how athletes live, and if we look at many people are weight conscious, and as opposed to being performance conscious, and they're running these energy deficits every year around their race time, and slowly, gram by gram, they lose the lean body mass a little bit each year. And then after 45, it gets much tougher to maintain lean body mass. And we arrive late in life, and we've lost this lean body mass. And as a result, I think some of our decline in our top end performance is due to this decline in lean body mass. So with my athletes, so with small athletes, female athletes, and older athletes, and if somebody is two or three of those, so if you're a small female older athlete, it's even more uh, important. With those athletes, I uh, am a big believer in year-round strength training. So that doesn't mean that strength training is the number one focus, but it means we're never getting out of touch with strength training. And by that, particularly compound, train, compound exercises on the lower body. So stimulating the legs in a, in a way that's different than the stimulus that they'll get doing endurance sport. And then the final, the final piece would be agility. And um, triathletes are really good at going forward, but they don't get much practice moving laterally or jumping off of stuff. Uh, I think that, and that's, that's why I like skiing, uh, skimo and uh, mogul skiing, uh, because it's a very different stimulus. It doesn't do much for your cardiovascular system, but if we think about healthy aging and successful aging, the ability to ski is really about balance. It's about rapidly uh, changing in different uh, directions. And I think it's very relevant to successful aging. And so keeping an element of agility in the program is really thinking about long-term health. It might not do much for you this season, but in terms of 10 or 15 years later, your ability to stay injury-free and not crash your bike uh, when you get a little wobbly is, is really helpful, I think. And so those three components, I think, are important for the aging athlete. Yeah, a lot, lot of great points. Maybe maybe I ask next about the strength training year round. How do you program it? I I personally, for example, find it difficult that right away when you start lifting weights with your legs, every other training gets difficult, whether it's skill training, whether it's whether it's endurance training, legs are just feeling so heavy. So how do you do the strength training and still be able to feel good doing the other trainings? Okay, so you are absolutely correct there. It's so, um, when someone, so it depends on the background. If so, when someone starts, if they've never done leg weights, it's, it's like when a cyclist starts running too. Um, all of a sudden the sprint just disappears on them and they're like, it's, it's gone. I have no sprint and, and it can be, it can be somewhat depressing for them. So 
I like to, first off, you need to start very gently, very easily, like embarrassingly light weights and high reps. And it's, you're really just getting the body used to it. Because if you don't, you're, you're right. You, you won't be able, you really won't be able to do anything. I mean, I can think back to sessions where I overdid it and even walking up a flight of stairs was too much for me. And so what I say is start very, very light. And once you get yourself to the point that you have this tolerance of strength training, it actually takes very little to maintain it. So you, you need to build the tolerance. And the best time to build the tolerance is the winter. You build it in the winter. And we used to focus working with athletes. I say, well, what is the worst month you have for outdoor training? And for most people, it's going to be, say, February or January. And I would say, okay, well, we are going to do a strength block in that month because, you, because it's something that you can get done and it's not going to cost much. And then if you think about the two months before that block, that strength block, you need to be preparing the body so that you can actually do the work in that block. So the whole strength focus is going to be three or four months. But in terms of the period where you're actually tired, it's going to end up being four or six weeks. And within the four or six weeks, you're probably looking at only 10 sessions with an endurance athlete. But those 10 sessions are going to make that athlete tired. And the quality of the endurance work is going to go down. But we're going to accept that because we know five, 10 years from now, there's going to be a payoff from it. And actually, for many athletes that haven't strength trained before, they'll notice that the following season is actually quite a good season. I, I think if you haven't strength trained before as an amateur athlete, it can really help your cycling, particularly your time trialing. If you transition the gym strength to bike strength. So there needs to be a strategy afterwards where we're going to take this leg strength that we built up in a non-specific way and we're going to transition it in a specific way to the athlete. And the common method there would be big gear training, low cadence training, uh, training where we're trying to generate a lot of torque and force, um, but using the specific joint angles and the specific bike position where we want to perform. So, and for triathletes, that's that time trial position. Get strong in the time trial position. Don't just get strong on a leg press machine. And then as we move out into the competitive season, it goes to maintenance and, and, it's, and, and it's light, but it is being done every week. And so when we end the competitive season, we can get back into the strength training, but we're coming back into it from a higher level. And then it's, we're not starting from scratch again, and we don't get the same level of soreness. And then the years build on each other. And the idea as well is every, it depends on the athlete, but certainly every five years after 40, I recommend that an athlete tries to get very strong one winter. And by very strong, I would mean as strong as anyone else in their category. So you, it would be relevant relative to your category. So female, 55 to 60 type. Okay, I want to be, for a 58-year-old female, I want to be as strong as anyone in my category. And I'm going to try and do that every four or five years. That's something I've done in my own training, and I feel like it's helped me stay healthy and keep that lean body mass on. A lot of times we say we can't, you know, you'll hear people tell you you can't gain lean body mass after 40. My experience is that's incorrect. You just need to do, you need to be energy positive and you need to do the right training. 
and you can you can make these gains. Um, but it but you need, it needs to be a focused block, and that is more. That's going to be it's it's not four to six weeks, and it's not just ten sessions. It's going to be more of a a season, a thirteen week focus one winter. When you're thinking either your life means that you can't do the endurance training. So for me, that was in the pandemic. Uh, we, the COVID pandemic, I was like, well, what can I do? Well, I guess I could get really strong. And so for that year, it was very much a strength focus for me. And I, and I missed the metabolic health from the endurance training, but it just wasn't practical. Uh, here, here in the U.S., we were, we were locked down for a period of time. I mean, they didn't even want us going outside and stuff. And I had a home gym. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get really strong. Hmm. No, it it really makes sense, and it's nice to hear from a endurance athlete and an endurance coach to talk about strength training like this. I think it's not not often like this. And when you say the maintenance phase that you go light, could you give an example? What is light? What is the repetitions? Do you go all the way to the failure in the in the sets? And w- what is a light maintenance phase? Yeah, so it would so it would be the idea is. I would say I want you out of the gym in 30 minutes to the athlete. I would say we and and I would also tell the athlete I don't want you to generate any specific fatigue from your strength training. So those are the two things. So you've got a 30 minute limit. So I don't want you resting a lot, and I want you to to strength train, but I don't want you to get tired from the strength training. So the the maintenance is going to be relative to how strong the athlete is. But for me, it would be the sets, it would be two sets of each exercise, 15 to 20 reps, depending on how I feel. And it's really just to to use the muscles and to continue uh, with all my main exercises. And there'll be a compound leg, it might be leg press sled, could be some front squats, uh, could be some back squats, some hinge lift, some single leg work. Um, depending on the amount of strength swimming that I'm doing, it'll, there'll be some upper body as well. Uh, and, but it's, it's a wide range of exercise, always a compound leg lift. And it just depends on where, you know, sort of where we are in the, in the season. If the athlete is doing a, a hard training block from an endurance point of view, then it's going to be, it's going to be really light. But if it's, but if it's a, if we're like, like right now, so March, April, many athletes are in kind of like early base training. And so if the strength training is a little heavier, so if the maintenance is heavier, it's not going to impact anything, providing they got strong in January and February. So it just depends. Now, if we slide forward to July, all of a sudden the maintenance is going to need to be very light because the focus is going to be on the competitive season. And really, we're just doing it for injury prevention and thinking ahead to the fall so that we're able to get back into our strength training later um, at a higher level. Yeah. And you said that two sets per movement, how many sets you would estimate per week for legs, for example, the total amount of sets? So, well, let's uh, per week, total amount of sets is going to end up being six to 10, say, because uh, it'll be two sessions and uh, it depends. It'll depend on the day. Now, here's the other thing. Occasionally, if the training, if for whatever reason in the season or something, I do think the occasional session where you go a little heavier uh, is useful for an athlete. Uh, I do it myself. So, you know, maybe once a month or, or twice a month, if I feel like I've got good energy and there's no events coming up, I might go, I might go heavier that day um, and just do a little extra work. But again, 
I don't want to make myself tired for my other training. You have to set priorities with where you're going to generate uh, the fatigue. The nice thing about being consistent with the strength training is one or two sessions where you go a little heavier, they're not going to generate a whole bunch of soreness. And athletes that are listening, I would say to them, let soreness be your guide. In other words, if you're going light and getting really sore, you might have a strength limiter. And if you're really sore in the 48 hours after you did your strength training, well, either you have a limiter or maybe you went too hard in your session and you need to be considering considering that. Mm, in- interesting. And yeah, I, I, I've been now going with 20 sets per muscle group per, per week. And, and it's it's very difficult then to do the other trainings that you, you feel feel horrible. I've been there. And, and that was, you know, the pandemic, I was doing, you know, three sessions a week. And each session was 60 to 75 minutes. And I was going heavy doing a lot of work. A whole a lot of supersets, so I'm not resting. I'm doing, uh, I'm alternating between upper body and lower body, and I had great results, but I generated a lot of fatigue. There was, I, I couldn't do, I just couldn't do much endurance work. But it was a phase, and and that's, and I would think, you know, for people that want to mix it up, just think about your year, just like the seasons. You know, you're gonna have your, you're gonna have your strength season and your um, endurance season, and then you're gonna have some maintenance seasons where you're just kind of staying in the game and enjoying yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.